Should we get started? I'll do a little interspiel, yeah. and then we'll kick it off. Yeah, awesome. All right. You're listening to In Situ Science. I'm your host, James O'Hanlon, and this week I'm joined by digital literacy educator, advocate, and all-around champion, Kelly Tagalan. Kelly, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Hey, no problem, James. Thanks for having me. Now, you are the general manager of Code Club Australia, which is, I guess, the Australian uh, representative of a, a global Code Club network. So I'll start off with a simple question. What does Code Club Australia do? Yeah, we're a network of volunteers and educators getting kids coding. Mm. We code in schools, libraries, and community centers in about 1,500 different sites throughout Australia. Mm-hmm. And we're part of that global network that reaches really millions of kids um, in over 120 countries, um, getting kids the skills and confidence and opportunity to shape their world with relevant education. Yeah, so by coding, we're talking computer programming. That's right. Essentially. But really broken down into a way that a really young child can focus and learn the concepts and then move into things where they're making real live web projects and maybe even building apps. And so you're talking about getting it in simple, simple ways that kids can understand. I mean, from, you know, as a person that is an affluent programmer, You know, programming seems like this almost unintelligible language sometimes. How do you, how do you introduce kids yeah. to coding? I think that's part of why computer programming is called coding. I think it does um, seem mysterious to people. It's this kind of language of technology, and for a long time computers weren't something that people had in their households, and now we have computers and devices in our, our hands and our pockets all the time. So... What we're trying to do is help kids understand that even though they're prolific users and consumers of technology, it's also really great to understand how these things work. Mm -hmm. Um, I was recently in Port Macquarie uh, up on the coast of New South Wales, and we we, we actually visited a school where kids had taken apart and put back together a computer, and they were uploading a new operating system. (laughs) <laughs> and they were upgrading the RAM. And How old were these kids? These kids were no older than 11. Okay. Okay, and these, this is not a particularly affluent uh, community of, of learners. And, in fact, I understand that the computer was somebody's grandmother's, and <laughs> she was upgrading, and then he just brought it to school and said, what can we do with this? And the IT coordinator said, ah, look, I think we can do something fun. And I, I loved the way when we were kind of visiting them, that they were they were so excited with learning that they, they actually said, we decided not to wait to upload the new operating system. <laughs> and then they, you know, proceeded with the, you know, with the whole with the whole procedure and they were walking us through this. And mm. it was really great. It was really great to see. And I think that if kids had more opportunities to kind of in a in a really constructive way, understand how technology truly works, how it's built, what makes it light up, what makes Mm. it slow down, what makes it speed up, all these things, then we can actually get kids to think like inventors and innovators. And Mm. that's really at the heart of teaching kids computer programming is to teach them a really specific way of problem solving, right? Mm. Take something really quite complex and, and highly operational, break it down into very small parts that they can scaffold onto, and maybe come come out with any number of solutions. Mm. And that's 
that's how scientists think. That's how scientists solve big problems: is they break it down and test it and and come up with new new solutions. Yes, I mean, so there's, there's obviously a lot of heart to what you're doing, which is quite nice because I guess people don't really think of that when they think programming. It seems very methodical and cold and robotic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think that technology has really come through as being something that it, it's a lifestyle. Um, mm. It's a lifestyle enhancer, right? Like we've got people learning mindfulness and practicing meditation thanks to technology. Whereas before, you maybe would have had to seek out um, a guru, and so <laughs> now knowledge is really kind of um, open and free. I love what things like um, open learning are doing by bringing university courses into the third world, mm. and um, technology helps to keep us healthy. It helps to um, Manage illnesses, things mm. like this. So, I'm pretty excited about the way that technology is no longer just something that、um, exists in labs and universities, and it's no longer, you know, Alan Turing、mm. style、uh, cryptology sort of. We're using it in our everyday lives, and it's not just to make us faster and stronger and smarter. It's actually to bring the quality of life higher. Yeah, I mean that's a really good point. I mean. Coding and programming has, for a long time, been the domain of, of science and technology. You know, it got us to the moon. It was necessary for doing complex equations. But now it's it's art, it's culture, it's you know, relationship building, and, and and all that sort of stuff. So I guess there's a almost like a moral imperative to to try and bring these skills to everyone, right? What you just said—you don't know how right you are. The moral imperative is what's so important in Australia, and that's why we're working vigorously to get this kind of education into every school.、Mm. We know that kids that are,、um, you know, part of families that can afford, say, tuition to a, a pretty decent private or independent school, have a pretty good crack at getting good STEM education.、Mm-hmm. We have an initiative. Thanks to our funders, where we are going out into regional and remote Australia and providing them with guidance on how to get this going in their schools. And because it's a free program and the material are often are offered open source, there is a low barrier for entry. And <clears throat> when you talk about the imperative, Australia has to catch up.、Um, mm. In some Eastern European countries. Kids that are twelve and thirteen, fourteen years old, are already creating apps、mm-hmm. in their spare time.、Um, computer programming for fun is as normal as swimming for leisure is here.、Mm. I mean, that's something important. I should point out. Code Club is、uh, what do you call it? Not-for-profit, non-profit. We're actually a charity now. Oh, you're a charity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's you know, for people that are probably unfamiliar with what Code Club does. It seems like a strange. Charity of <laughs> teaching、uh, something that's a skill. You know, why? I mean, did you hinted at it a little bit there? What what makes this a charitable organization? Well, because education is the great equalizer.、Mm-hmm. We believe, as an organization, that if every child, truly every child, so kids that go to the finest schools and kids that go to the most remote schools, where there is one teacher and that teacher is also the principal,、um, mm. we know that when those kids get access to the same education, we're going to get a better 
uh, outcome from our economy. Mm-hmm. We're we're working with a more informed and less digitally divided society. What we're excited about are kids that live in rural Australia that can now innovate things like farming mm-hmm. and can look at different ways of approaching big economic questions. Energy is on everybody's mind right now. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a hot topic politically. <laughs> but what if kids were in schools, um, you know, really looking at attempting changing the way that their community consumes energy? What about, there's a guy that's got a project called Farmduino, and they take these little <laughs> Arduino boards, right? And it comes with little components where you go and you can create little inventions specifically for the agricultural home environment. So maybe um, you really hate getting out in the cold and opening the gate at night when you <laughs> return home from visiting somewhere. Or maybe you want to create a monitor mm. so that when there's a, a break in the fence, you can run out and, and protect your garden, yeah. uh, things like that. Um, what I want is for kids to all see how technology can enhance their life. And I mm-hmm. think it will, it will enhance the economy um, of Australia and really, really create a more prosperous way of living here. Mm, I mean, I definitely feel a little bit controlled by some of the technology around me sometimes. Is, is that what it's getting at, is making sure that you know, you're in charge of the technology and not the other way around? Well, one of our um, borrowed quotes that we, we have very <laughs> often plastered on the back of T-shirts and, and things like that is um, program or be programmed. <laughs> And um, not 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 bias. Um, the the name of the author escapes me at the moment. But yeah, the idea is that if you just consume technology at a level where you're using it and experiencing it the way that you know these big tech companies have designed for mm. you to, you're not you're missing out on a whole half of the experience. Yeah. But if you can hack into something, you know, this is part of the maker culture, mm. and you can create something brand new from technology, lean on other innovations in order to create your own. I think that that's a fantastic outcome. Mm. And, you know, Elon Musk is one of the big technologists that are behind kind of making everything open source. Mm-hmm. So we want to create these materials so that every school can kind of get it in there. And align their learning and teaching around the outcomes that will demonstrate a fluency in, in digital literacy so that kids can represent themselves mm-hmm. on a world scale from wherever they are. So to do this, your code club is getting uh, volunteers from the community out to places like you know, schools, and libraries, and community centers, and wherever. Yep. And getting them to run free workshops for kids, teaching them the basics, entry-level stuff. Generally, a code club runs an hour a week, Mm. and sometimes it's a tech professional. Sometimes it's... It's, you know, a mom who did, did some web design and really loved it, moved, <laughs> moved into other things and then says, oh my gosh, this is so exciting. I, this is a way that I can um, use my skills in HTML and, and actually teach my kids something valuable. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, sometimes they pair up with the school and then sometimes it's companies like Telstra sending a, a volunteer for, mm-hmm. for an hour into um, a school or community center and using our projects to progressively teach kids these skills. Mm. And so if people are interested in volunteering or finding out more about volunteering, 
Can they register online? How do how do people get involved? Yeah, so come and check out the website. There's a lot of really basic information about what's expected and sort of what's in, involved, what we offer, and sort of what's up to you to sort of do as a volunteer. And that's all available at CodeClubAU.org.、Mm -hmm. And the other thing you do as well as organize volunteers is go out and engage with school teachers. Yes. Yes.、Tell、it's a huge、that. part of our program. It's actually one of the things that makes Code Club Australia really unique. Um, as far as the global network is concerned, so with a grant that we obtained from the Telstra Foundation, we developed a program where we go and we train teachers for free on how to use the material that we've got available.、Mm -hmm. So we know that teachers understand that this is important. So they're driven. And they intellectually understand that it's important,、mm -hmm. but so many of them did not major in, say, computer science.、Yeah. And for an educator to be charged with teaching, even entry level, you know,、uh, visual block based coding languages, they need some help. And so、mm -hmm. we're teaching this flipped learning model where you, as the educator, are no longer the expert in the room. The expert <laughs> in the room could be eleven. Yeah. But what you can do is facilitate really great learning by leaning on some good materials and some really solid principles,、mm -hmm. and、um, the outcomes are really tremendous. It's really what's helped Code Club、um, take hold here in Australia、mm -hmm. and, and become quite the movement. So this might be a, a silly question, but who learns better, the teachers or the wee ones? <laughs> <laughs> um, it really depends. I get really great experiences on both sides. I think that the kids are more absorbent.、Mm. Um, the appetite is stronger for、yeah. the kids.、Um, look, it's like learning a language, right? We know that when young children are exposed to a second or a third language at a, an age starting at around five,、mm. they learn it way quicker than when you're fifty-five.、Mm. So the same principle applies for computer programming. Is that? Older people having you know, bad habits, or is it a fear thing? What do you think? I think it's a combination. I do meet a lot of teachers that most of our work with them is、uh, is around confidence building,、mm. um, and I also meet teachers、uh, who definitely have the confidence and the willingness. And it comes down to、um, the operation of bringing a whole new way of learning into the classroom、mm. when. We've been teaching for what 150 years with one person at the front of the room writing on a board、mm. and having everybody in the room repeat what they're what they're what's been written or what's being、um, you know lectured to them. It's really different than hey, I'm going to give you each、um, a project and you can work at your own pace.、Mm -hmm. Here are some basic things to get you started, but I'd really like for everybody to have a go at, <laughs> from page three on their own. And it's completely okay if your fish tank looks very different from everybody else's fish tank. <laughs> at the end, that's a really different style of teaching.、Mm. So、um, some of it, some of it does come down to just kind of introducing this new way of teaching, this pro, pro,、um, project-based learning, and、um, introducing growth mindset into a classroom environment.、Mm. But most of the teachers, actually, all of I've never met a teacher that was completely resistant, right?、Mm. The teachers are really keen.、Mm. They they want to be the best professional that they can be. So we don't get a ton of resistance to、mm. that. I mean, you mentioned coding is is a language. I mean, that's really what it is. I mean, it's it's lots of languages depending on what you're programming in. I mean, do you find that that it's 
it's not so much about being uh, proficient and methodical with it, but it's about just speaking the language without even really thinking about it. That's right. Mm. Yeah. So someone that computer programmers that learn a language, they specialize in a say a certain language like mm-hmm. C plus or something. They become an expert in that as they progress further and further into their career, practice it more, encounter more problems, and learn new things. So that's just like learning a language. You can take an introductory and advanced Italian Mm -hmm. and go live in Italy for a while. Um, The longer you live there, the longer you encounter things. Your car breaks down one day, Mm -hmm. and suddenly you're learning the words to describe car parts. (laughs) That wasn't covered in your intermediate Italian class, but here you are. So I think that computer programming is a lot like that. Mm. And then, you know, as time goes on, we learn better technologies, faster technologies, more efficient efficient technologies. So you'll find computer programmers will talk about their days when they were starting with one language and how they've now kind of progressed and become fluent in others. Mm. It definitely there definitely is a learning flexibility once mm-hmm. you've um, kind of mastered one, mastering another is Yeah. And there there's sort of similarities fun. between programming languages, you know, once you know Structure. fundamentals of how to structure an argument, you can apply it to different languages, right? Yes, exactly. And that structure is what we start with, with the first um, visual coding language that we use with kids called Scratch. Yeah. So they use these blocks to kind of get the fundamentals and the structure down. And so then just, can you describe a visual coding language? Yeah, what visual coding language. So it's blocks-based. They, they sort of look like little digital Legos okay. that snap They're together. blocks on a screen. That's right. And they drag them and they drop them. And then they learn that a special sequence of those blocks, no matter what else is at the other end, will always get a similar result. Mm-hmm. So if you're trying to get your sprite, which is sort of the character, right, to run across the screen back and forth, they know that that sequence, after a very short time, they learn that that sequence will always make the sprite run back and forth. Mm-hmm. And that there's just a little bit of changing of those blocks, adding mm-hmm. or subtracting something, that will make the sprite move really, really fast mm-hmm. or really, really slow. Yeah. Um, and then they start to say, wait a minute, so if I want it to jump, I'll go back into this motion category and I'll look for a block that says, you know, Move up the x y axis, move mm. up the x axis this many points, but land on the y axis yeah. at that point. And suddenly, they're using maths concepts to create animations, and mm. we're covering their broccoli with chocolate, and they're <laughs> eating it like crazy. <laughs> and it's like a language in that way. You can have a you know, line of words, and if you tweak one of those words, it means a different thing, and you get to know just how to how to. You know, when you're putting a sentence together, you don't think about what's going to come next. Yeah. You just instinctively write or talk. And that's where the fluency comes in. Mm. So um, computer programmers will often say, oh, I'm fluent or you mm. know, proficient in the language. And science has shown that the same parts of the brain light up um, mm. and are activated and are engaged when you're speaking another or learning another language as you're learning and um, practicing in a computer programming language. Mm-hmm. So the the concepts are very, very similar. The one thing that seems to pop up, I mean, from my perspective, is that sometimes people can be even a little bit suspicious of digital literacy mm. sometimes. Yeah. I think you know, we're, in, we're in the iPad generation, particularly with young kids, and you know, there are parents out there that are fighting to get their kids away from screens. Screen time, yeah. And here we are advocating to... 
and I give them more uh, tools to play with with digital technology. Mm. <laughs> How do you justify this? Well, look, screen time is is a big question for all parents, and、mm. I'm not here to tell people how to parent their children. But I think that so long, look, all the expertise points to one direction. If your young children, so kids under the age of eight, let's say, which are, is what Code Club is dealing with, yeah, yeah, specifically, that's、They're、right, primary、yeah. school kids, yeah, primary school kids, or even、um, really young primary,、mm-hmm. are using a device. At home or in school, it shouldn't be on their own.、Mm-hmm. Kids that are using devices should be doing some sort of guided activity.、Mm-hmm. And I think that what's tough is, you know,、um, parents, you're, we're, we're juggling different things at different times and trying to be the best at all those things. <laughs> and so it can be really easy to say, like, here. Can you just play on this app for a little bit?、Mm. It said educational. It was quali- <laughs> it, I bought it. It was ninety nine cents. It said educational. Go play with that while I do the washing.、Um, but you should be guiding activities with your kids.、Mm-hmm. And things like computer programming will take guidance.、Mm. And、um, you know, moving on from there, say age age nine to ten, eleven, twelve, right in there. Get kids away from just consuming technology, just tapping,、mm. and and getting you know really great outcomes, and and move away from just using technology to communicate or just using technology to stimulate.、Mm. So YouTube videos, yeah,、uh, gifts, things like that. Move away from that and move into creating with technology,、mm. and that's when you get a different level of engagement and more exciting. And finally, kids need different experiences. There are ways to teach kids these types of problem solving that have、mm-hmm. nothing to do with computers. You know, getting a bunch of building materials and saying, "Right, how do we turn these building materials into a fort?" <laughs> you know,、um, learning what each tool and material is capable of, and、mm-hmm. learning what procedure needs to go into place before we create a sound structure. It's the same concept. It's computational thinking.、Mm-hmm. Building a fort is engineering,、mm-hmm. which Is the third letter in STEM?、Mm. So I think we have to think of all the kinds of things that we can do with kids that、yeah. create sort of this well-rounded, highly <laughs> capable individual. <laughs> well, it's it's a perception thing, you know. We look at these pieces of technology and see、uh, so many different opportunities to create and,、mm. and to mold the world around you. But I guess depending on people's backgrounds, they might look at them and see them as You know, toys or、mm. ways to escape. I mean, I find this with video games. Like, I play lots of video games, and I think there are amazing art forms and ways to interact and express yourself. And I get really frustrated when people think that they're just sort of mindless, you know, hour-killing devices. Yeah, I hear this argument too, and I hear things that say that、um, video games increase violence. For instance, uh, which is a、started. tough one. <laughs> It's a tough one for me because I'm actually、um, working with someone on creating some research around how kids actually learn empathy、mm. through gaming. And technology is a really powerful tool, right? It's just like anything. Where look, a, a, a person can take a book and use it as a weapon.、Mm. They can take words and use them as weapons. It doesn't mean that we should just not. Use them or not、mm-hmm. keep working with them, right?、Yeah. So if we can't eschew that idea, then what we need to do is realize that we're in a time 
we're in the digital age, it's upon us. And <laughs> what it comes down to is truly being knowledgeable about the potential of some of these technologies mm. and how they will be used for good, understand how they will be used for you know nefarious kind of outcomes. But when it comes to our children, we do have a responsibility to expose kids to a variety of these experiences and to a truly relevant education. It is no secret that jobs are going digital. Mm -hmm. I just read a really fantastic article that talked about um, a, a pilot project in America where uh, a coal mine was being shut down, and they actually took these coal miners mm -hmm. and they taught them computer programming because they were incredibly astute to procedure. Mm -hmm. They were, um, well, they were engineers, right? And mm -hmm. they were very, very clever when it came to looking at a very, very big, complex, messy, dangerous problem <laughs> and kind of working backward yep. and kind of using all the parts available, all the tools available to them, also knowing their limitations because, you know, maybe you're in an isolated area, there's budgets, mm -hmm. things like that. And it turned out that these coal miners that were about to be made redundant from a, a lifelong career made great computer programmers. Mm -hmm. And this program was able to train them, mm. and the company was able to pivot and create a new product based on that. So in this day and age when we have, we're realizing what limitations our physical world has, why not look at what resources can be made from nothing, which mm. are digital, and how those create more possibilities. Yeah, I mean, that's probably what the future is going to be like. I mean, at the moment, you know, programming and coding is a, its sole profession, mm. but probably it'll become less defined because we will have people working in mines that are you know, engineers or uh, mechanics or something, and coding is just a part of what they do. I mean, the same way you know, I did English and maths in school, I wouldn't call myself a mathematician, mm. but... I use it in my day-to-day -day life. I can balance a checkbook and that's right. Things like that is that what's going to happen with coding essentially. Oh, call me Madam Tagler, and I, I know that that's what the future is. <laughs> um, <laughs> I won't even charge you for that advice. <laughs> but it, I I do think yeah, that's what's going to happen. I mean, I, I consider myself technologically astute, mm. and it wasn't until three years ago I learned about this whole industry called user experience design. <laughs> And UX. I work. I'm UX. That's right. I work <laughs> among these people. I have them as friends. Um, I have. I have one as an advisor, and it's <laughs> it's amazing to me. And basically, it's the combination of intuitive te technology, psychology, mm -hmm. marketing, computer programming, all built into one. And then you get these these individuals who are helping to actually thoughtfully design technology according to how the users want it mm -hmm. um, to respond. That job most certainly did not exist, mm. under, at least under that title, when I was going to university. Mm. And I worked alongside people that have started very successful tech startups. Yeah. So I know that jobs are being created. Yeah. I know that the, the way that we have to learn needs to be a, a lot different than the way that we learned mm. you know, even five to 10 years ago. So a personal question. You, you hail from the the hub of digital innovation from the Silicon Valley 
area. I was wondering what you were referring to because I grew up in a rural community. Okay. So I was thinking the thriving metropolis of Oakdale, California. Well, okay. <laughs> But yes, After Oakdale. I did go to school in the Bay Area. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Do you think this uh, helped form your approach to just the pace of innovation and embracing it? Rather than resisting it, probably. Mm -hmm. um, we are, you know, we're a product of our environment just as much as we are, um, you know, our upbringing and our education, things like that. Yeah, I think that living in San Francisco and working in schools that were looking at incredibly efficient ways to intervene and assist kids, mm -hmm. working in an environment that was an education environment that was incredibly underfunded. Um, dramatically affected by the GFC mm. and you know schools closing doors teachers getting made redundant weekly we we had to work really quickly on our toes mm. and I think adopting principles from um, the tech companies around us um, you know unlocking resources working more on open um, open source technologies things like that made made things a lot more mm. efficient and, and really helped us achieve outcomes as these education programs struggling mm. to, to serve more and more students. So absolutely. Um, and then I did take a career break and work for a tech startup, mm -hmm. a, a quite a big one. It was a big company, but the satellite operation here in Australia. And I think watching my leadership move through these different phases so quickly and thinking back from when I was, you know, an extension of the government, mm -hmm. um, the Department of Education and how slowly they would work, it really showed me that I had a lot to learn. And that's what's been really great about Code Club, having a panel of board of directors that come from the startup media and technology and education worlds. We've got mm -hmm. kind of all these advisors across these different spaces. And we're, we're learning really, really quickly. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's interesting because I'm, I mean, I'm now working in academia, which is a very old-school sort of industry with lots of history, and it's almost a bit, you know, it's got a lot of baggage behind it, so things happen very slowly, mm. and there's lots of bureaucracy and, and red tape. And when we compare that to you know, the tech startup industry, which is now the complete opposite, um, they have this sort of mindset of, of disruption and, and shaking up the industry, and it, It seems like we're in a really formative time for how the future of you know, business and technology will work. I think that we're seeing it affect the university environment already. Mm. Um, we are collaborating with a couple of universities here in Sydney and um, trying to get some things going interstate at UTAS. And I'm really impressed mm -hmm. with the way that the universities have copped on to the fact that so much of a student's learning experience needs to happen outside of a lecture hall. <laughs> and, you know, some of these degrees that are like a hybrid, really, of technology mm. and innovative thinking and then, you know, a very traditional sort of business degree. I think it's fantastic. I think we're seeing some really great things coming out of these programs. Great collaborations between industry and higher education right here in Sydney in mm. particular. Um, I think everything's getting disrupted, right? Yeah. We don't we don't do much now like we did back when we were younger. Um, I'm not a wealthy person, but I have my vegetables delivered to me fortnightly <laughs> because I want uh, locally grown produce mm. uh, from around New South Wales 
and I want it to be organic um, whenever possible. Mm -hmm. And I find that the best way to go through that is through an online platform where I can be told what's available from mm -hmm. these um, various farmers and for somebody to amalgamate those resources mm -hmm. and deliver them to me efficiently, yeah. fortnightly. I wouldn't have imagined that when I was 12 years old that I would be paying someone to put together my Ikea furniture. <laughs> that to me seemed like that was something, you know, very wealthy people did in yeah. mountains. But because of platforms like Airtasker, you can actually hire someone just to do that job for you, mm. something that they're very good and efficient at, and then you can go and be good and efficient at your other things. <laughs> yeah, so I think, I think it's fantastic. I think it's... Again, it's, it's about improving the lives and solving actual problems for mm. people. Now, when, you were, when you were 12 years old, did you imagine that you would be involved in breaking a Guinness World Record? <laughs> <laughs> um, no. <laughs> no. I Good want, segue, no. right? It was awesome, yeah. <laughs> I was ambitious, but no, I did not think I'd be setting a world record, no. <laughs> so I'm referring to Moonhack, which is an event you had... Uh, well, last year now, where you, was it the most kids coding at any one time? In one day. In one day. Tell yeah. us about Moonhack. So Moonhack was an initiative that we kind of dreamed up as a little group thinking, how do we get kids really excited about computer programming coding, right? Mm -hmm. And how do we also get like all these other kids that don't have an opportunity quite yet mm. to also hear about it and get excited about it and get involved in it. Um, and how do we make it truly inclusive? Because setting up a code club takes takes a few steps, mm -hmm. you know? Training a teacher takes a few steps. So, um, yeah, we decided to do this world record. And Moonhack came about because we know that all kids have access to the moon. We all, we all get to look up and see the moon. Okay. And um, truly democratic. And also... Uh, I learned that Australia had a, a part in the Apollo 11 moon landing. Mm -hmm. The Parks. The Parks Dish. Oh, yeah. So I visited the Parks Dish, and that was where the inspiration came from. And I was on the phone with one of my board members, and he was kind of moonshot, moon hack. And we sort of, <laughs> yeah, we got excited about it. And basically, in the end, um, 10,207 kids participated. Mm -hmm. um, that was that was by the close uh, uh, here in Australia of the, of the day, mm -hmm. but overnight we had another four thousand kids from overseas jump okay. on. So this year, uh, in July, we're going to be launching Moonhack again. Mm -hmm. We're going to be broadening the ways that you can contribute to Moonhack. So we're going to have a range of materials and experiences. You run a little Moonhackathon mm -hmm. in your office, in your home, in your school, your library, your hallway at your school, wherever you can find a place <laughs> to gather. And there'll be a way for you to submit your project and be a part of the new world record. And we're going to be engaging our partners globally on mm -hmm. this. And I'm really excited because um, our partners come from places like Bangladesh. They come mm. from the Ukraine. They come from the UK and the far north United States and the very, very far north of Canada. We've got kids that are really excited about this. So it's something everyone can participate in because we all get a glimpse of the moon. So what's the moon connection? <laughs> the, the moon, well, so the Apollo 11 moon landing was probably one of the most um, exciting global events that really got people excited about you know science. Mm -hmm. And 
originally what we were trying to do was tie Moonhack to something Australian that had happened. We were thinking small, right? We were thinking yeah. a world record set by Australian kids. Yeah. And because of the Parks Dish and, and the CSIRO and all of the involvement and the really great history there, mm. we thought, okay, well, we'll create some projects that are really uniquely Australian. So the mm. first set of projects were like one of them had the backdrop of Uluru and we actually had some sounds that you downloaded, um, sounds of the <laughs> outback and there was an emu and a wombat, of course. And um, so they were very Australian and then the, the, the activity involved, you know, a rocket and, uh, okay. and some cool things. This year, um, your project will give you some inspiration, mm -hmm. but your project, much like um, a festival like, say, the Trop Fest, mm -hmm. where you've got a common theme, the common theme is Moonhack, mm -hmm. or the moon, sorry, yeah. and you could submit a project based on some of our inspiration, yeah. or you can submit a project of your, own, of your own creation completely, and as long as it ties in with our theme, You'll get counted. So you're going to go global this year? Massively global. And try and get even more kids coding within a day. Yeah, and the day starts in New Zealand. So mm -hmm. they'll kick things off. We'll take the torch, and then we're going to pass it along as the international dateline as the sun moves across. <laughs> <laughs> so poetic. <laughs> All right. Well, we should probably start wrapping things up, and I'll let you get back to get, getting kids coding. Hashtag... Get kids coding. <laughs> Hashtag get kids coding. That's the one, James. Thank you so much. No worries. So the website again was codeclubau.org. And you can follow Code Club on Twitter and Facebook, Facebook and things. Yep, we're very active in your face, giving you thumbs up and those fun hashtags all the time. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks so much, Kelly. Cheers, Shane. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you want to check out more science stories, you can go to inscituscience.com. We're on Twitter with the handle at inscituscience. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>